Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. If we're not adapting to changing societal needs, legal needs, environmental needs, and changing our activities and outputs accordingly, as leaders or businesses or even professionals, we're going to be obsolete very quickly. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Edwin Frondoso. Welcome. How are you doing today? How's it How's it going? Thank you for taking the time to join us. This is episode number 87, and my guest today is Farhan Bulka. He is the Vice President of QA Solutions. Farhan is an executive leader and strategic thinker focused on innovation and design thinking in life sciences and medical devices. He has built three multi-million dollar businesses from the ground up. Two of them were in multinational companies and the third was on an entrepreneurial endeavor. He's passionate about nurturing the next generation of business innovators. And in our conversation, we talk about why transparency is is important in leadership and what you what you have to do once you find yourself losing interest in your current job or company. Farhan talks about his three guiding principles when joining a new organization. Our sponsors today are Pungle, a business payment solution that helps remove business payment friction by making payments fast, connected, and easy to use. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Farhan. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I'm happy that you took the time to join me. But Farhan, let's let's just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners today. Tell us a little bit something about who who is Farhan and, and what does he like to do when he's not growing or leading businesses? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, my one-line uh, description of myself is a, a rocket scientist that turned into a business person. I started my earlier career in aerospace, um, uh-huh. and I've done quite a few different types of work in very explore, exploratory or commercial space business. Yeah. Uh, and I started my life as an engineer. I have a PhD in robotics, uh, and very quickly I realized I like the business side of things better than the technical side of things. Uh, the type of businesses I went after is always very technically complex. Uh, that gives me a lot of excitement and motivation. Sure. Uh, but I realized as, as I built businesses, it's becoming more and more fun. Uh, so that's wh- where I took my uh, direction to. Uh, outside work, uh, I love a few things. Actually, sometimes I, I think to myself that I do too much sports. Uh, these days, I consolidate it down to squash and scuba diving. So those are the two things I do. I play at one of the downtown clubs. Uh, reasonably competitively uh i have a group of people i play play with and compete uh and i love scuba diving uh got my license in australia and i've been to a few different places scuba diving i try to do one or two trips a year uh one time permits oh that's amazing and i know for for squash and scuba diving both sports could actually take you to different places for competitions right it does yes well for squash i wouldn't say for competitions i don't internationally compete i'm not at that level 
Uh, but I've been to places where I can watch other people, better yeah. players than myself, play. So that that's exciting. But yeah. scuba is definitely you gotta go. And Ontario is not really well versed for scuba diving, although there's a few locations. Yeah. Uh, it takes me to exciting, interesting places. Yeah, for those who who are listening, we're we're in Ontario, Canada, which has plenty of water and lakes, but probably <laughs> nothing to look at. Uh, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Farhan, let's let's just jump in. I know we're probably going to get into it a bit later um, because you've had a very interesting career. But why don't you start by telling us? what your current business is about. Let us know what your current roles are, your responsibilities, and perhaps if you can, what you're trying to accomplish over the next six to 12 months. Right. So I'm going to be, be a bit vague on the next six to 12 months. Um, but uh, let me start with where we are right now. So actually, I just made a transition very recently. About three months ago, my company sold to a global multinational company called Electa. Uh, and after the acquisition of my company, I took a role at Electa as VP of uh, Quality Assurance Solutions. So it's a bit of a mouthful title. So what it means is, or what we started the company with, uh, is a drive to safety of patients. Uh, for people who are not very familiar with cancer therapy, uh, there are a lot of uh, complex medical devices used in therapy. And these devices, when they function properly and when used properly, they're lifesavers. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, they're complex. There's a lot of technology behind them, and any little mistake can can be fatal. Uh, so quality assurance looks after the building the confidence in tr treatment that the machines are performing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not malfunctioning. They're uh, according to spec, and all the regulatory and legal requirements are met. Uh, for their functionality. Uh, so this is typically done manually uh, with paper checks or lots of manual work. So we automated this. Uh, my company that established about four years ago uh, focused on taking all quality and safety checks and automating that process throughout. Um, we've been working with global companies uh, and selling to global hospitals over the last few years. And finally, we got the attention from a multinational company, Electa. They really liked our product. They really liked the, the market response to our products, and they bought us. Uh, at the time, uh, I had a choice. Of yeah. course, I could have taken my paycheck, shake hands, and walk away. Uh, but I had a little bit of a bigger aspiration than what that small company that I built would allow us. And it's really taking the quality assurance to a different level. And when I say different level, uh, the company I built targeted a section of quality assurance, but not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So in simple terms, let's say we did 10-15% of the whole workflow. Okay. Uh, what I'm working on building now is the 100%, get to that 100% mark, build the whole thing so that this is a completely transparent activity. Uh, from a patient's perspective, the devices are always safe, but from a therapist's perspective, they always have the data they need uh, to show that uh, or the, to have the confidence that their devices are safe for treatment. Okay. Um, so I guess my goal is devices should be used for treatment and time should not be wasted on checking them. So we do all the checking in the background with our tools and software and the therapist really focus on the patient, give the treatment that the patient needs uh, when they need it. And they could get to more patients um, after the fact. Uh, absolutely. So there, there are a few benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. One is having that confidence at any given time. 
So that's big. Secondly, of course, there is tangible uh, monetary uh, benefits to the hospital. Now they they can uh, treat more patients, especially in the U.S., when every patient is a, a, a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's where it really matters. Um, and also the, the, the new uh, direction in the U.S. now is about more about patient outcomes and patient uh, experience. Uh, with our software, all the quality assurance is done transparently without people putting their hands into it. Right. Uh, so the from a patient's perspective, they just walk in. When they walk in, there's already a green light for the treatment person to say, okay, everything has been checked. I know I don't need to do anything else. The patient's experience in the treatment room is much more fluid, much more organic. The treatment person can really focus on the patient themselves rather than paying attention to the machine and for that period of time ignoring the patient. Uh, So it's all about uh, helping people in their most vulnerable times. No, I mean, that's amazing. And on the personal side, and I probably could talk about this after the fact as well, because, you know, there's people in our lives who've had cancers and and definitely they talk about like that that user outcome. Um, One thing that you brought up, um, in the last little while that happened to you, and which is really interesting for me as the host of this podcast, is that you went through an acquisition and you mentioned that you had a choice. So first off, I want to ask, you know, when you brought your team over to this acquisition to this larger and multinational company, how did you handle the communications with with your team? The decisions you were doing mm-hmm. um, was there churn? Like, what was it, what was the most difficult thing that happened during this? And I know a little backpedal. This is not the first time you've done this, so maybe you've learned something in the past as well. Yeah, actually, this is a very good question. Most of the people I know keep this information very secret, very quiet. I did exactly the opposite. Uh, I was very open and um, frank with my team from the beginning. As soon as the interest to purchase the company came in, I sat down with everybody and I said, look, this is a situation. There is no guarantee that we're going to be purchased. Uh, but if it if we get purchased, this is what it means for everybody. Uh, so there were a couple of things. One is I kept the process completely transparent and open to my team because it's a small team, one. Uh, secondly, the knowledge is not in our documents or software or anything else. It's in the people. And if they're not excited and if they're, if they're scared or if they're worried about anything, it's going to affect us in the long term. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure if, if that is happening, I wanted people to tell me directly as opposed to some rumors in the background. How big was your team at the time? Uh, at the time, we were about 14 people. Okay. Uh, including external uh, contract people that were, worked for us. But the core team was about nine people. Right. Um, so... The communication, and then of course I, I addressed the questions head on. As so they came. I, as they came in real time, no, uh, no delays. If I didn't know the answer, I told them what it was and how I knew and what I didn't know. Uh, and what it meant, uh, after the acquisition, if it happens, what would life be and how the, how it's going to change from right. before. So, so some changes are exciting and interesting. Some changes are not. So I think you have to share this with everybody else. And everybody's personal preference is different. Um, so I kept it completely transparent. So the nice thing, everybody decided to stay on. Everybody was happy and nice. motivated. Uh, so that worked out really well. Uh, some of the people I told to this, what the hell are you doing? Like, how can you share yeah. so openly? Well, first of all, if I cannot trust my team, there's a major problem there, regardless of acquisition or anything else. Mm-hmm. So I trust my team. Uh, obviously, they knew that it was confidential information. And 
now its acquisition is done and finished and we did not have a leak we did not have anything adverse that we didn't want so i think it worked out so that brings up a point and maybe you can or cannot answer this but would the full transparency be a fact that the size was small because mm-hmm. if you were a hundred plus company, I think it might be super different being transparent. It, it would be difficult, and I think in a situation like that, I would take a slightly different approach. And mm-hmm. one of my mentors is uh, my previous boss at okay. one of the companies I worked at. Um, uh, his name is Andy Bourne, and he was the president and CEO of a company called Cyx. And one of the things he did, I observed at the time, he was moving all manufacturing from the Toronto office here uh, to Singapore. And he communicated this intention uh, two or three years in advance to the whole team, including the local manufacturing team, which will be downsized at the end, and local suppliers. There was a lot of different... Opi- it, was opinion. it just an idea or was it the no, plan no, no. already? He, it was a plan. He communicated to everybody. And there were lots of rumors in the company, like, why would you do this? Like, you're basically pissing off everybody. And of course, there was a bit of a churn internal. But in hindsight, after he went through that two-year process of moving uh, manufacturing to Singapore, I observed a few th- different things. One was how helpful and well-intentioned people were even they knew that their job would be terminated at the end of two years. Mm-hmm. So there is that level of ethics uh, that you want to see in the people that you work with. And at times like this, you really see the real evidence of this. And if somebody is not up to that standard, it's better off if they walk away from you. It's better if they're not in your team. And they're not surprised either by the fact, right? And they're not surprised in yeah. the end. And I've I watched these people training in Singapore, the people who's going to take over their jobs. Uh, but in return, Andy was extremely careful and respectful of the people who were leaving the company. He went way above and beyond what your typical termination uh, clauses are or the laws are. So he, he walked through this whole thing over the two years with everybody. Wow. So that was an experience for me to observe. Obviously, I wasn't a participant in this. I was one of the employees in the company. Mm -hmm. I wasn't part of manufacturing. It didn't really affect me. It was more of a leadership experience that I watched. On the sideline. Yeah, watched and learned. And I said, wow, see, transparency, openness really goes a long way. It's nothing to be scared of. Nothing to be scared of. And I, I kind of learned from this. And I, my experience is the same way. I, I'm not the type of person who hides secrets. Uh, if something is kept behind, like I, I, I guess I'm a big believer of the only thing that increases uh, by, by sharing is knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that. this is information and knowledge is what drives our business. The type of business I do is all knowledge-based, all information-based. And if I cannot share this with other people, um, then something is wrong at the fundamental level. Yeah, no, for sure. I just wanted to, I guess, just step back into your career, Farhan. I know when I looked over your bio and the things that you've done in the work, you've you basically built three multi-million dollar businesses from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we just talked about and maybe it sounds like it wasn't difficult, but I'd love it if you could share a difficult situation or a difficult decision that you had to make in the, in, in the past that really eventually made you grow. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, it was difficult at every stage. but sure. uh, So there, there's a couple examples that come to my mind. One is 
earlier in my career. So this was my first major exercise where I built uh, the first business line. I was working at Cyx, actually working for the CEO that I just mentioned. And he sent me over to San Francisco to this startup company. Okay. And he said, we believe that there's something in their technology. It's a lab experiment at this point. We don't know exactly what's going to turn out. Go figure it out. Is there a business opportunity here? Um, find out if, if we should really invest the money into this. So I was in San Francisco, co-located with this uh, startup. Um, and it was a, one of those very typical Bay Area, very yeah. cool organizations. About 150 people by the time I got there and I looked around and I was there for about a year, mm -hmm. assessing the technology, looking at the next, uh, what we're going to do next. And one day there was a meeting where the CEO of the startup told the whole team that they ran out of money. They were closing, closing shop on Friday. So we had quite a bit of vested interest in the, in a particular technology. Um, so my marching orders from Toronto was, okay, by Friday, this was, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. when the news came in. By Friday, we need from you who we need to keep. And out of that 150 people, who do we want to go after? And it was tough. I was there for a year. I became friends with most of those people. I had to really sit down and think what we're going to do next, what the intellectual property is, and literally select the people that, that's going to that's gonna stay on the team. So I selected, uh, I forgot the number, less than 20 people yeah. out of 150. Were you given a number or a budget? No, no. they told me, what do we need okay. out of these people to take this technology to where we want to take That's it. That's tough. That was tough. I had three days or two days, whatever it is, to make this choice, looking at the faces of the people and make that shortlist. So long story short, we bought that company. We made offers to all these people. They took the job. And three years later, uh, that lab technology was a medical device in the market. Uh, and also, in addition to the medical device, I built all the consumables and service uh, business line around it. So that was that was my first really ground from grounded as a lab experiment all the way to a full full blown business. And I think up until about a year ago, that business was still running. So that was still uh, still working. So that business, when essentially the organization took over, the lab was about twenty employees. And how how large did it get to? Uh, well, we kept that group at, at around 20 in mm -hmm. San Francisco. Then uh, we added around 20, 25 in Toronto, uh, hired a company in Australia to do the device uh, design and build. So they were about 30, 40 people. Uh, we hired a group in India to do all the software development. They were about maybe 20 people. Mm -hmm. So the team was pushing 100 people at some point at, at its extreme. And that was an external company, right? Like this was one that you had vested interest in. Uh, so this was a company I worked at, Cyx. Okay. Um, and but I led the whole effort from that, I guess, assessing the lab experiment all the way to deploying the business. If you are enjoying the conversation and have any questions, comments, or feedback, please consider joining me on my free private Facebook group, where I share daily insights answer questions, and connect you to other like-minded business leaders. Simply go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or search for the Business Leadership Group 
directly in Facebook. Now let's get back to it. One question, I, I'm not sure if it's super applicable, but I know you've heard this and been in organizations that, that are larger because when companies start small and you've done it from the ground up and they get larger and larger, there typically is this sense or this tendency for it to become an institution. Yeah. And it will adapt into inspiration. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you do, any best practices that you've learned now from, from keeping this from happening? Yeah. So uh, you're right. So big, these big, exciting events uh, are not an everyday event. So when a company typically makes a big investment, for example, the example I was giving you was about $25, $30 million investment for Sykes. It was a sizable investment. This is not an everyday occurrence. So when it happened, of course, it's a, you get a little bit of a withdrawal from that excitement and adrenaline rush. So my approach has been two ways. One is first assess myself. I look at myself and say, what really excites me? What am I looking for? Mm -hmm. And then second part is how can I keep that excitement rolling by contributing to the company? So one of the things is, you can take things into your hands. Uh, it doesn't, the, these uh, projects don't need to be given to you. You can propose things. So that, that's one of the things I've done. Um, so I look for different ideas. I partner myself or park myself with people who have interesting ideas. And they're always looking for, here's a crazy idea. Why don't we give it a go? And I, I don't know, for some reason, I find myself in these environments all the time and say, oh, yeah, let's go try this. Uh, for example, at SciX, I was always pulled into these, hey, here's an idea. Why don't we go after this? And I was one of the maybe 10 or so people in the company who got pulled in. Once in a while, I would go in and say, hey, why don't we pursue this? I saw this at University of Toronto, or here's another area that I heard of. And we were always given permission to go try, experiment, a little bit of budget to push it a little further. So you can take matters into your hands and do what excites you. Uh, the other thing I found and learned is sometimes if things get a little too stagnant for your, uh, for your interest, it's perfect okay to walk away from that company that you really like. And I've done this a couple of times in my past. Uh, for example, my aerospace job, my first job was, it was cool. Everyone, every, when I explained to people that I was working on uh, missions to Mars, uh, scientific explorations, rover missions, it was sexy and cool. But at, at one point, it didn't really satisfy me. And great job, exciting, pays well, good opportunities for growth. I walked away from that job. Look for something much more innovative the, the way I was looking for. That's really interesting. And, I, and I've had many conversations when the business leader or executive or entrepreneur really just lost interest. For you... When you quote unquote lost interest or it wasn't you know exciting anymore, how long did it take for you to make that decision, or how long were you sitting with that feeling? Uh, that's a tough question. I don't know. There isn't a typical. Here's when it started. Here's when it ended. But I would say, if it bothers me for more than a few months, uh -huh. then I would say it's time to act. Uh, and act could be do something and propose something, find something exciting. So my first reaction is not to run away from it. Uh, my first reaction is typically, am I doing everything that's in my power to help the company move forward? Uh, but if, 
if I bump into too many obstacles or if I feel like I cannot move this any further, then it's time to move on. Um, I, actually, I heard this quote from somebody else. It's not mine, but um, we're talk- he was talking about recruitment and he says, in a startup, you got to hire fast, fire fast. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that has been my mindset in my career. Hire your employee, employers and employees quickly, but also fire them quickly. If, if you're kind of sitting on this uncomfortable feeling for too long, it becomes the norm and you get too comfortable with it. And I don't want to get too comfortable. That, that, that's one area that I find, I guess, annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I, if I go to a job, which I, I don't think I've had that job for, for more than a decade, and I feel like, you know what? I don't have much to do today and I don't need to do much to do today. So I'll hang around. That would bother me. Uh, and if that ever happens, one day is fine. Having one day downtime is good. Uh, but if it happens a few more times, uh, and if it kind of in a few months, if I feel that there are too many of those days, uh, it's time to act. No, that's great. I appreciate you for sharing that for her. And I mean, that, that's an important question for those listening and might be sitting somewhere you know, with that, with that feeling of unrest, mm-hmm. I guess. And even for myself, right? You know, I find myself in different projects. I'm, I'm an engineer background, so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. One thing I wanted to ask you is because you've changed roles, you change organizations, um, so obviously you don't, when you do change, your team, your responsibilities also change along with them. So how did you adjust and continually grow? So perhaps when you moved into the new organization how did you how did you take on the new team and how did you go from there yeah uh, it's always difficult to move into a new role when nobody knows about you and you have right. to prove yourself from ground up but it, it's also there's a challenge in it so i think there are a few guiding principles in my life that i like to keep so one is open communication i'm an open book um i'm not a good poker player uh everything my hand is on the table so and that has been my approach all the way like i come in i tell people what i know and what i don't know what i rely on other people and what what they can rely me on Uh, so keeping it open is one of my guiding principles the second thing is i really trust people Uh, i want to surround myself with people that i can trust and in return what i believe that they're going to do the best job that they can do um, I think Steve Jobs said this uh, and says, you don't want to hire smart people and tell them what to do. You want to hire smart people, people because they will tell you what you should be doing. And I really believe in that. Uh, and that's when I go to a new organization, typically uh, I have had the privilege to build my teams most of the time from ground up. Mm-hmm. And there are a few people I go back and hire over and over again because they fit into that overall profile. They know how to work with me. They're trustable. They're ethical. And I know they do a darn good job when you give them the freedom. And uh, and the, the third part, I guess, that other than this transparency and openness uh, and trust is giving people clear objectives. So when I come in as a business leader, I am given a direction. I, I am given some goals. And I know that when I don't meet those goals, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So that, and I make it exactly transparent to everybody else in my team. And I say, okay, well, your job, my job, our success depends on us working together. 
So, and I also teach at University of Toronto. And one of the things I always say about innovation is the leader's job is to have one clear objective for everyone to go go after. Innovation is not about ad hoc chaos. It's about a targeted direction. And leader's job is to make that direction crystal clear and really reinforce that direction. Once we know what the destination is, then the rest of the team really cuts the path to that destination. You, you may not know the, uh, the path, how to get there, but that's, that's what the team does if they know where to go in the end. So I think those are the three guiding principles. I, if I'm in a new organization, first thing I do is transparent, open. Second, I want to really find a team that I can trust. Third, give them a very clear direction about what the success looks like. That's great. You, you have a very interesting background. You know, you're working at the university now, giving back, you know, teaching the next generation. So what are your thoughts now on the future of work with new technologies like AI coming into the workforce? How will businesses or business leaders really adjust to, to effectively lead, lead the new generation? Right. Actually, AI is the big buzzword these days, um, and it creates both fear and excitement. I belong to the latter team. I think there's lots of excitement about AI. Uh, where I see AI and robotics in machine intelligence overall is really uh, freeing, freeing up humans from dangerous, difficult, routine tasks. No intelligent person or being likes to do repetitive, routine, and dangerous work. So that shouldn't be the case. The other thing is, I guess, again, people have different thoughts on this, but I believe humans are error-prone. We're we're emotional, we're sensitive. That's what makes us human. Uh, But when it comes to under-pressure decision-making, we make mistakes. Machines don't. Uh, for example, like today, planes can run, run by themselves. They can take off, fly, and land by themselves without a pilot. A lot of people feel uncomfortable getting into a, a pilotless plane. I would feel more comfortable because I think humans make much more errors than machines do. And the future of machine intelligence is basically helping us take away some of the mundane tasks, like driving. Uh, even some of the decision making, like when we say we make decisions, in my mind as a business leader, decisions are things that are ambiguous and not clear. Uh, unfortunately, some people call things decisions when it's glaringly obvious that there is, that's the way to go. So that's not a decision anymore. That's obvious. Machines can do all those obvious things very easily. They can even do some obs- obscure decisions better than humans can without taking emotions into factor. So I think the future is, um, and some people like this, some people don't, uh, the more mundane routine jobs will disappear. Um, But then, is this new? I don't think it is. Like We don't have blacksmiths around anymore. They were big 200 years ago. Uh, You don't have elevator operators. Exactly, you don't have elevator operators, but then there is a new generation of people called software developers, that job didn't exist 50 years ago. So 
with AI coming in, taking away the mundane, the dangerous routine tasks of, of our hands, I think there will be lots of opportunities for new jobs, new occupations and capabilities and skill sets. Uh, so AI is associated a little bit, little bit job loss. I don't think it is. I think it's just improvement in our quality of life, improvement in our safety, uh, the way we enjoy life. Uh, I think that's where we're going. Some, most of the jobs we know of today will be obsolete in the next few decades. Um, new ones will replace them. I don't know what they are, but there will be new exciting stuff. So with that in mind, Farhan, what is one characteristics that you believe every business leader or emerging business leader should possess? Adaptability. Um, if we're not adapting to new changing environments, uh, we will not survive. I think when I look at my parents' generation, they worked at one company all their careers, mm -hmm. and things moved at a slower pace. Things still changed, and I think maybe because it was a slower change, people didn't notice it as much. Now things are accelerating faster and faster. Like, um, I think there was an article recently that said, in the last 50 years, we generated more information than all humanity did before that time. So, And that speed and acceleration will just get faster. It's not going to slow down. So... If we're not adapting to changing societal needs, legal needs, um, I guess, environmental needs, and changing our activities and outputs accordingly, as leaders or businesses or even professionals, we're going to be obsolete very quickly. So I think any uh, job of the leader is to really observe what's coming up, not necessarily what it is today, and what's coming up in the next five to 10 years, and be ready for that change and be put the uh, systems in place so that you can respond to those changes because we, we don't always predict what the next generation or wave is accurately. Uh, what we can do is a rapid response structure. So when the need becomes relatively clear, we can respond to that quickly. Fun question, Farhan. If I were to ask any of your team, past or present, your colleagues, your peers, business partners, what's the best leadership quality that you possess? What, what do you think they would say? Uh, actually, funny enough, the, somebody had this recently. Uh, I'm, I'm going through with, with the new acquisition, we're hiring quite a few people. And obviously, somebody from the new organization, Electa, asked somebody in my team for the person we're hiring, so what is Farhan's leadership style? I said, well, I said, what did you answer? And he said... <laughs> Well, I said you're a collaborative leader. I said, what, what does that mean? He says, well, you, you really, when you come in with an idea or you want something to be done, you really run it by us about what it means, how it should be done, and you really get my opinion about how I should go through it. But then he said, you have very particular ideas about how it should be done. But he says, it's, it's good to see that collaboration that you come in and ask for our opinion first. I said, okay, I think that that's nice. Uh, I think it goes with my trust and transparency, but that's how he explained to me. So I I don't know how accurate it is, but that's what he said. Well, what's interesting is that that was really present and and it's reflective of what, what you think you do as well. So it's a me testament too. in terms of the work you've done and the work you've done on yourself to, to become a business leader. So Farhan, I don't know because 
you know, this acquisition and this new project, everything that's going on to get to 100% of quality assurance is fairly new. But is there anything else, any special projects? It could be personal business, any initiatives, anything fun that, I don't know, maybe you're looking forward towards, you're super excited about, you're losing sleep. Uh, well, I'm definitely losing sleep over getting to that 100%. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it is a bit of a long shot, but I think it motivates me because it's very exciting and I think it really, it will benefit patients. Uh, I think that's important. So uh, one thing I'm doing after acquisition, and I did this before acquisition as well, uh, I was quite active in the local startup entrepreneurship uh, circles. And I worked as a mentor or executive in residence in different incubation centers. Uh, so but over the last four years, my time for that was quite limited. So I'm looking to get back into it. Um, so I reached out to some of my contacts and I said, if, if there are some exciting companies coming out, looking for mentorship, um, I'm definitely into it. Uh, I'm also looking to get into some board memberships, uh, especially for nonprofit uh, agencies, uh, ideally in the healthcare market. So that's, that's another thing I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's really getting a nice balance in my life. Uh, obviously what I do really drives me and motivates me and excites me. Uh, but I think my mind works best when I, when it multitasks, not all, not all at the same time. So Farhan, I'm really enjoying this. I'm learning quite a bit about, you know, the industry you're in and really, really about yourself and the type of leader that you are. But before we end, I'd like it if you could get, you know, share some final thoughts to the emerging business leaders listening today, either observations, ideally some type of actionable recommendations that you could share to them today. Sure. Uh, so I can probably say a couple of things. One is, uh, I'm going to repeat myself, but knowledge is the only thing that uh, increases by sharing. Uh, when I look at entrepreneurs, startup, or even leaders, aspiring leaders, uh, don't keep things too close to your chest because that way it becomes a inner uh, vicious cycle and it doesn't really grow. It doesn't really see the light, light, uh, light of day. Share it, grow it, expand it, and look for uh, that shared excitement in other people. And it's not that difficult. If you go out and if you're an aspiring leader and you're looking for what should I do, start sharing ideas, listening to other people, um, and grow on something that really looks exciting and interesting to you. And this, this, is, this has been my driving mantra as well. And when I look at people around you, you will excel in things that ex excites you. If you're not interested in a topic, there is no way you can do a great job on, in this. You might be doing an okay job, but it will not be a great job. In order to do a great job, it really needs to give you those butterflies in your stomach. Look for that topic, and that topic is not going to be in your brain only. It's going to be in discussions, conversations, explorations, experimentation, talking to other people, and picking bits and pieces from maybe different sources mm -hmm. to come up with a relatively mature, actionable idea. So go out there, talk to people, talk to your potential customers. If there's an idea, uh, don't dwell on the technical perfection. Go listen to customers. What are they looking for? What do they value? What? Do, how would they adopt if you put something together? So that's my advice to everybody. Get out there, 
uh, take a little bit of risk, expose yourself. Uh, that's how we learn. That's how we uh, see other people's perspectives. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Farhan. But to close, can you share with us where we could find more information about you, your company, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? Absolutely. Uh, so about my company, it used to be Acumen, A-C-U-M-Y-N. Um, so now acquired by Electa, a global company. It's electa.com. Uh, about me personally, I have a blog which has been stagnant for a while, uh, but you can see my ideas there at farhambulka.com. Uh, that's where I kept my blog. Uh, lately, I'm not very active on Twitter, but I start to share my opinions on Twitter quite a bit. Handle is farhambulka. And I think that's about it. <laughs> well, Farhan, again, thank you. Really thankful for your time grateful for your sharing your knowledge and putting it out there and thank you for joining us on the business leadership podcast it's been a pleasure thank you that's it biz leaders thank you for joining me on the business leadership podcast episode number 87 with farhan bulka if you want to learn more about farhan qa solutions or anything else we discuss please go to the businessleadership.com slash 087 our sponsors today are pungo a business payment solution that helps remove business payment friction by making payments fast, connected, and easy to use. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Please join my free private Facebook group called the Business Leadership Group where I share daily insights, answer your questions, and connect you to other like-minded business leaders. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help